I want to welcome you to Digital Soul Food. I'm your host, Jason Wallace, and I appreciate you checking out my pod. The feedback so far has been great, and I'm glad I can bring guests on who are sharing valuable and useful information. COVID-19 has made unprecedented impact across the country, forcing thousands of businesses to close and millions of people out of work. The tech industry has been fairly resilient and in some cases have flourished. For this next series, I'm going to speak to black women in the tech space, each from a different perspective. First up is Mecca Williams, who is an engineer. Make sure to have your pen and paper ready or your notes app because Mecca's going to drop some gems on her career and how she sees black women being successful in the tech space. All right, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome back to Digital Soul Food. With me today is my special guest, Mecca Williams, Principal Engineer for NetApp's Hybrid Cloud Engineering and Brooklyn Tech alumni. Mecca, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. So uh, Mecca and I, we went to uh, high school together, uh, the aforementioned Brooklyn Tech. Um, we actually are diametrically opposite in that <laughs> I am 6'8". And Mecca is five two. Oh, so you I, gave me two inches. I don't even got those. I'm five foot even. So our, our pictures are always hilarious. In that. So here we are today. You know, we're talking about you know black women in tech, and we have a black woman who is in technology and is an engineer. So, like Mecca, like, can we get a short origin story? You know, we're big comic book fans here on on Digital Soul Food, so we like to get an origin story. Um, to see how where you got your superpowers and you know how you got interested in tech. Okay, I, I'll try to give you the short version because there is a very long version. But I um I was always good at math and science. I always had an affinity for it. I liked it, and that translated into um, you know advanced classes in math and science, and kind of drew me logically to computers. You know, I came about in the 80s and 90s when computing was and, and tech was kind of taken off. Um, I majored in computer science at Brooklyn Tech and that really lit the fire for me. My, my very first computer was built, put together by my mom's friend and that just intrigued me to no end. Started programming, it came naturally to me and it just, I just stayed you know, intellectually curious about it and all the things that you could do, the things you could control both programmatically and software and physically, like uh, embedded development and electrical engineering and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, Brooklyn Tech, Georgia Tech, you know, I, I majored in software engineering in college and I had to do, um, one great thing about Georgia Tech's program is that they forced you to think practically about what you would do with those skills. So not just, here's how to code, here's the science of computing, but also how are you gonna use these things outside of school to make money? And you could pick tracks. And so I picked software engineering and telecom and embedded development and electrical engineering. And I got my first job doing, using all of those things. And it just took off from there. I'm still, I'm still very curious. I'm still learning constantly. So, yeah. But the power start with the started with the math and science, but it's very different now. You don't have to start that way anymore. 
So superpower is math, you know, learned it from an early age, and that's awesome. So now what do you do at NetApp? Like what's your current role and how do you contribute to the um, the larger benefit of the company? So um, I don't know, NetApp's kind of a behind the scenes company. So for folks that aren't familiar, uh, we are a hybrid cloud data management services company. Um, when you think data, um, you think of where it is, how to store it, how to use it, how to get backups when you need them, um, or how to take backups when you need them, how to restore, and how to do that ubiquitously, so anywhere. And now um, we all live in a hybrid multi-cloud environment. And so, you know, data has to eventually live on a disk somewhere, but your access to that data can come from anywhere from any um, accurate and, and stable copy of that data, right? So uh, a lot of NetApp's products, a lot of the cloud portfolio products um, help with, with that kind of thing, with accessing your data anywhere um, and then seeing data more so from an application perspective where you don't have to worry so much about um, how much of it, where, you know, how, how fast you can get to it. You know, the whole tech industry is moving towards letting people worry about their apps and not have to worry about the underlying stuff like compute and memory and storage. Let the underlying technologies take care of that for you. So, so NetApp is in that space, especially from a data management perspective. And, and really into containers and cloud too. So my job is, I am a, my official title is cloud test architect for um, Azure, Google Cloud and AWS. But what that means really in, in kind of layman's terms is that I work for a team that builds automation infrastructure, which is also software. So libraries, microservices that all come together into a cloud test ecosystem. And then NetApp has products and solutions that need to be tested and they test them in our environment using our software. Sometimes they build software on top of our software, but our automation infrastructure and cloud test ecosystem gets used by all of QA and some of dev in the company. And so I, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, I'm, uh, I'm reviewing code, I'm writing code, um, I'm figuring out new technologies to help us be more efficient, very cloud-focused, trying to move more of what we do on the ground into the cloud so we don't have to worry about, you know, we, we eat our own dog food, use our own solutions and services to make our, our lives easier. Um, I Relationships, a lot of, you know, the, the environment is very distributed, so I have to get, you know, hybrid cloud lab people to engineer stuff for me. I have to coordinate with new features and development coming in. So it's... I always tell people, like, if you don't, if you're not really interested in what I do, don't ask me because my explanation could go on for days. <laughs> now, nah, that's definitely very in-depth, but also I got it right. And, and I'm well, so I'm kind of like nerdy, too. <laughs> um, so how does NetApp, how, so, you know, with COVID, with the pandemic, how did you guys, um, how have you guys been able to be successful throughout the time? And, you know, what was it, you know, was there any way that you had to shift as far as like your businesses or your processes or, and from a customer perspective, like how do you see the industry um, kind of evolve as this pandemic um, kept, you know, getting bigger and bigger? Yeah, so um, 
if you're in uh, in a high tech role for a, a Fortune 500 company or, or or higher, then you are likely well prepared for something like COVID because you, your IT likely had the infrastructure to ramp up to you know 90% of your workforce being remote. So we didn't, you know, there was some stuff that had to be done uh, for our IT infrastructure to ramp up to support us, but nothing significant, right? Like we we did some test trials. We actually NetApp started doing uh, 100% remote test trials in like early February, late January. Like we we knew this was coming, but our work environment is very remote anyway. I work with teams in I'm in North Carolina. I work with teams in Pittsburgh, in uh, Boston in Bangalore, India, Sunnyvale, California, London. So, you know, it, it's not much different because we were all remoting anyway to the point where if I had a meeting with somebody locally that was in another building, I'm not walking over there. Let's jump on the Zoom. So there's a lot of consistency. We had good continuity. But I think there were things about this change that I took for granted. Um, so not having that um, synergy, that in-person you know, contact, the, the little mental breaks you get to take, like we, we kind of work in a pen, we're very collaborative. And, you know, I could see my teammates while I'm working and I could just yell something out like, hey, Philip, you know, what's what's this? What, what happened last time? Did you check that thing in? And not being able to do that, I think psychologically, it starts to, you start to feel isolated. Like we've even started yeah. scheduling coffee breaks, remote coffee breaks and, and, and beer bashes. We, we do that every, every Friday, we get together physically uh, on our, in our location. And we started doing this remotely because like you, you need, you need your people. You need to be around your people, even to Absolutely. create and develop and build. You need to be around your people. Yeah. Now you, you do. It's it's definitely been a, a, a bigger challenge um, because we've been so apart. Right. And yeah. I think companies I do think people who have worked collaboratively in offices have been affected more. Um, you know, I've been working remote since 2017 like I'm off and on. So it, it didn't really mm -hmm. affect me. I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> I get to stay home. Fine. Um, no problem. Um, and introvert Jason is very much yeah, yeah, yeah. fine with, you know, being um, by myself. No, we're starting to see more diversity in tech um, to an extent. But where do you see it from your perspective, given that you are in tech? Mm -hmm. I'm going to be just super candid about this. Um, I've been working as an, an engineer in high tech for over 20 years. I have worked with exactly one other black woman, engineer, developer in my entire career, um, a handful of black men, um, more so at the first company I worked at because they recruited heavily from North Carolina A&T, which is like an hour away from me. Um, I, it's, it is, um, it's abysmal. The tech industry has a diversity and inclusion problem that is years old that they've been able to, to get away with. Um, I think we're talking about it more we, but we're starting to get to the point where we're just, you know, we're talking about it and we're not doing a whole lot. Now, my company is like, like a lot of companies are, um, my company's invested in, in trying to make a change. And so we are recruiting more intentionally. I think that was historically a problem. You know, people 
want to uh, perpetuate the the merit-based lie that's out there. Um, so you know, companies have to be intentional about about seeking diverse talent, and I think sometimes they worry about the legal challenges that come with that. But they're figuring out that if if they don't do this, it it really hurts the company's bottom line. So so we are seeing um, more DNI um, professionals be hired, more uh, DNI goals be linked to um, to incentive like actual compensation, and, and that's all good. Um, I think we're moving from the from a, a place where we are we're doing a little bit better with recruiting and hiring, but we're not focusing on retention so much. And we have to do these things in parallel. It doesn't make sense for you to hire good, strong, diverse talent. And I mean, and I when I say diverse, I'm really talking about black people because I don't want to cover this. I mean, I, we there is way more diversity in tech right now, non-white diversity. There's still not a lot of black talent and they are out there yeah. and people are missing it. But if you get them in your door and you can't keep them, you, you're, you're back where you started. So yeah. I, I think, you know, they're, they're the foot's in the door and they're figuring out the, the diversity part, but that inclusion and belonging piece to keep people, it's critical. It's just as important. Yeah, and I, that, that is definitely, uh, I think, a piece that no one focuses on because, you know, me being a product marketing manager, you know, I work with dev teams all the time and I see myself, I've only seen like literally one guy who, a black engineer and probably like the past six years, seven years since I've been as a product, product marketing. And, you know, it's, you do want to see people like you and work with people like you. But then also you get that a different perspective on a product because, you know, everyone doesn't see it, you know, things the same way. Um, and everyone doesn't really feel that as I am developing a, a function functionality for, you know, let's say a product or service, Hey, like maybe you know this culture sees things differently, and because of that, you know, you, you catch things or you miss things, right? Absolutely. And um, and the retention part, you know, like it's it's definitely troublesome when you're the only black person or like one of two, and you you know you get those stereotypes of you know emotional, angry, you know frightening difficult it's like how do you how do you overcome those things because most of the people you've worked with may not have ever really worked with a black person in the role mm -hmm. or have had that, that those type of professional encounters you know and they think like you know you want to be they want to be cool with you it's like nah like we're here to do a job yeah. like to an extent yes we can be cool but you know bottom line is we got to get we got to make these products move we got to make this this revenue we got to meet these goals um so saying all that and looking at it from the recruiting perspective like what have you been doing you know you've been working uh, at the hbcus to recruit uh, more black talent where do you see um as an engineer like where where do you see the roles for especially black girls um coming into tech and then like where do you feel we can make more of an impact as well. I don't think there's a specific role for black girls or black women. I mean, they're the same roles across the board. Black women can do any job in tech. It's not gender-based, it's not race-based. We're just as capable of doing any 
any job. So I think the key thing today is, um, you know, that's so different when I was I was in school is that, you know, my education was really focused on the science of computing. Like I got a ton of, I had to take a ton of math, ton of science. And then the, the computing instruction I got was very science-based, um, the depth of computing. And you don't have to do that anymore. Tech is, has advanced so much that a lot of what you do, it's, I mean, the, the money opportunities, the, the opportunity for earning and career are way up the stack now. And what I mean by that is that you don't have to know how to talk to the machine. You don't have to know um, kernel level languages. You, you don't have to manage your memory and your and be so real time sensitive to get the big pain. There's some of those jobs still out there, but that market is smaller because of the advancements in things like IDEs and in application development and interpreted programming that you can really, really, truly focus on the thing that you want your application to do or the actual task that you want your user to experience without being so encumbered by the technology of having it work. So I, I have a, a college age son. He was interested in computer science uh, around high school time. And I was like, make sure you love math and science because if you're gonna major actually in computer science, you still have to know that stuff. But what I encouraged him to do was find what you love and what you're good at and figure out how to apply the tech to that. And that's how you build a career that will last you, that that you know you can find fulfillment in because you're doing something you love and you can make money with it. Tech is in everything. You don't have to major in computer science to be a technologist. You just have to figure out how to use technology to make what you love better and easier and more innovative and new and creative. That's that's the key, um, I think. But as far as HBCU recruiting, you know, my company sits on the AMI board and AMI is Advancing Minorities in Engineering. And they are a great organization that works to connect HBCU engineering students with corporations. Minority, uh, majority schools have this. They get this um, because their alum have big bucks and always give back and always look out for the students coming out, right? HBCUs don't have that as much in the high tech space. And so Amy sits in between and is creating this pipeline between corporations and HBCU engineering students. And so I am very active in that, in my company's participation with that. I tour the HBCU schools, I attend career fairs. Um, I, I, I actually um, helped hire a young lady who's working for NetApp right now, um, a young black lady. <laughs> I just want to make sure I, I don't, you know, miss that point. Um, and, and so I'm I'm very active in that because I see the gap, I see the disparity, and I, I want to be active in doing something about it. And I want to be on the inside to help with that inclusion and retention part that we talked about. Yeah, and that's important. Um, being, having gone through it and then pulling people up. Right. Yes. Because, you know, we see it, you know, being in corporate America, you see it it's a lot of times where, again, there's that one black person that's at the VP level, exec level. And then it's like, all right, well, you know, can would you be my mentor or, you know, how can I get some career advice to, you know, get to where you are? And a lot of times, 
we don't help each other. So mm-hmm. it's it's ideal. It's great that you know we can pull you know pull that all together. When we look at it from um, from that mentorship mentorship perspective, you know, being able to go in and you know um, be the resource to help bring other people who are you know out of the organization into the organization, but and also you know when you get to a, a certain level, you know, pulling other people up. You know, I see it all the time from other um, groups of people who champion you know subordinates and help them you know rise up in the organization so they can get um, more exposure. You know, raises, promotions, and so forth and so on. So, um, it's awesome that you have that mindset and that you're you, you're gonna start with your first recruit at NetApp, the black girl. Oh, I, yeah, she's not my first recruit, but she's the first one that I um, was able to help get hired from a Amy conference and event. Right. So, since our our relationship with the HBCU engineering schools, uh, she went to Morgan. Um, so, yeah, you know through that relationship. But I, I say, look, people know if they're like, we want to recruit at one of these diversity conferences, they always hit me up. They're like, do you want to speak? Do you want to help us recruit? Let's, let's do it. And I, I like that. I like that, that they look to me to do that because I want to be part of the solution. But, you know, I also want to keep it real with my company. I'm not going to be on the front lines helping you recruit if when they get here, they're not supported and they're not, you know, they're not able to flourish and grow. We don't want to hire and bring people in just to help NetApp's numbers. We want them to come in so that they one day can see black executives and 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 black people in high positions. And, and I do mentor. I absolutely. And I don't just mentor, you know, I mentor lots of junior engineers in, in all positions from all backgrounds. But, you know, it is black women it's a special place for me. I want to be what I didn't have because I, I never had that. Yeah, man, that's, that's real. Um, so thinking about those black girls, like I've seen um, black girl, black girls code. Um, is that type of organization you think, you know, if I'm having like, I have a young daughter and I know she's kind of interested in, you know, getting into tech, would that type of resource be someplace I should center? Or are there other resources that we can find for our kids to get them interested in coding, interested in tech, interested in engineering? Oh, absolutely. Black Girls Code is a great organization. Um, when, you know, pre-COVID, they had lots of boot camps and, and uh, in-person events. They've done a great job of moving to virtual as well. So they, they have virtual coding camps as well. Um, learning to code is free, though. I, I do want to say I love groups like this that bring the attention to it, but I think as parents we have to do some of the upfront homework for them. Um, one of the key things is to help make it relatable. <laughs> I was talking to some of my engineering friends, and we laughed about how all the examples we had when we were younger was like "Hello World" and print numbers one through a hundred, and we were fascinated that we could just yeah. even influence stuff. Kids today don't—they could care less. And these "Hello World" examples are not useful because you're never going to write a program to print "Hello World." But if you could teach your kids how to automate something that they already do, like pull down my email and filter out, you know, find this thing and or clean up 
empty my inbox or go find this release that could, you know, this, this, uh, um, some series, some show they watch, go to the server and pull it down and, and put it, send me an alert that there's a new release out, you know, things that they can relate to, um, even coding in, um, in the cloud is super easy. And Amazon has a free like trial account that you could set up and they, they'll walk you through the tutorials. You can do all that on your own. But, you know, yes, organizations like Black Girls Code, um, uh, there's a tweens and technology group that also does camps. Um, there's lots of local resources too. Like I'm in North Carolina and so some of the stuff is local to me, but I, I encourage everyone to look locally. I'm actually putting together a list for people in, in my area and try to branch out from there. So, cause I don't, I don't think parents have enough resources at their disposal to know where to go when they, when they want to find ways to help their kids get interested in coding. Yeah. I think part of it is they don't know what they don't know. Right. Uh, and so it's like, how do I, you know, how do I identify those, those resources quickly? Mm -hmm. uh, but to your point, like, you know, I think the biggest the biggest craze right now is everyone's you know you know redesigning their iPhone their their home pages yeah. yes. right yeah. like that's you know that's design that's relatable that's you know going back to MySpace days same thing like you know we literally learned how to you know code HTML to change the colors and change the palettes and all that stuff mm -hmm. um, and our kids are a lot smarter you know they have they've had these phones in their hands they've had this technology in their hands and. You know, they've been able to create scripts and, and so forth and be able to build things out quickly. So I do feel I do. I do think that making a distinction of to that point of, of what's relatable and what are some real world things that we can do. Um, and and encourage your kids to go learn Python. It is a great language to start out with. It's it's logical. So they don't have to jump through a lot of hoops in their head to, to connect dots. Uh, it's it's easy, it's instantaneous because it's an interpreted language, so they don't have to compile and wait. Python, if, if, if you don't hear anything else, go Google, you know, how to how to learn Python for the kid in your life at their age range. And, uh, and, and then if you want to get more advanced, you could, uh, you could look at things like Raspberry Pi and kits like that. But learning Python and finding them a, a plugin somewhere to, to kind of do some introductory rudimentary Python. It's a great, I think it should be core curriculum for everyone, every student to come out of high school knowing Python. Like like it was for us to know, uh, was that 10, um, go to 20. Basic, that was <laughs> yeah. basic, yeah, we had to know. Logo, I think that was another old, old language from like elementary school, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I still remember that. Like ten, like that's crazy. That's that that memory. That's <laughs> it's it's good at sometimes. It's good good for some things. Yeah, you've been in tech for a while. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the people you look up to in the space? This is the challenge of there not being lots of heroes um, that look like me in the space. So my my and and just to soapbox a little bit, this is why it's so important to learn Black history, right? So um, I I feel like I've been a trailblazer for very much uh, most of my career. And the people that I looked up to um, as my career was budding were the Steve Jobs and um, uh, the, the Steves, the Apple Steve, Steve Woge and Steve Jobs, and then Bill Gates, you know, their stories are compelling. And that was during my lifetime. So 
I know those stories intimately. The people that look like me that were out there in front of me, they were non-existent, right? So as I got older and I learned about the people like the hidden figures, Catherine Johnson, I actually, um, one of my chapter stories at Georgia Tech is the daughter of Christine Darden, who is the fourth hidden figure. She wasn't in the movie, but she's she's in the book. Um, women like, you know, Ray Montague and, and Bessie Davis, the, the women that blaze trails in science and technology, not even in computer science, but back when, you know, a lot of these in inventions were laid out and that we didn't get to hear about them. So those are the people that really, truly inspire me. I feel like a lot of Black women that are in tech today, they will tell stories about us like that, right? Because we're innovating. I actually Im implemented caller ID for one of the first packet voice systems, right? Um, we've, we've been doing stuff on the ground, but they don't talk about us. Hopefully they will, you know, hundreds of years from now. No, nah, I won't be that long. You know, <laughs> definitely when everyone hears this podcast, they're going to start talking about you. Um, <laughs> for the audience, can you please tell us what sorority you are? You said, <laughs> I am a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, New Beta Chapter, Spring 93. So I'm sure you're really happy about Kamala. <laughs> Yes, yes. We uh if you you uh if you heard the skiwi that reverberated around the world, yeah, I was I participated in that. Yeah. She's an alpha chapter soror. Yes. The big deal. Awesome. Um so what's next for Mecca? What's what do you got then in the pipeline? Oh, so many things. So I think I am I'm moving into a I like tech evangelism. I don't know how familiar folks are with this, but, you know, there's um, the field is so moves so fast today. There's so many new technologies that are available and uh, companies like mine, you know, we always have to catch ourselves to not over-engineer or engineer for the sake of engineering. Exploratory engineering is great, but if you have products to deliver, you know, you have to be smart and spend your time wisely. So, you know, I like being in the front and finding new technologies that help people how to get where they're trying to go faster. Um, technology still excites me. It still intrigues me. I still say wow on a regular basis when I see things. Like right now, I'm really into cost optimization in the cloud and uh, and products that help do that intelligently, uh, learning how to use them and fold them and integrate them into systems that are in place. Kubernetes and containers are a big deal right now, so creative and innovative ways to use that in workflows. Um, but being somebody that's in the front talking about these things and bringing them, you know, down to the ground on, and, and showing how people use them and how they can use them and being kind of a technology spokesperson. I, I, I kind of like, I think I'm going to play around in that space. Um, but I also really want to want to uh, be in the space where I'm teaching young people how to code. Like that is, that's my dream. Like this is, you know, and if, if this is my dream, this has been my dream forever. Go teach young people how to code. Go teach people how to practically apply these skills that I've amassed over the years. And so I really want to start knocking down, you know, the first blocks to get there. And it doesn't, it used to be, I wanted to do it for a college. I don't have to, I just want to do it. And I want to see kids promote through a system that I've developed and, and be 
awesome designers on the back end and go create some amazing thing. Like I, I would love to just to just teach that. And and I, I always want to just be an inspiration for young underrepresented minority kids who are not exposed to careers like these to so that they could see that we are here. We're doing the hard things, the hard work, and you can too. You know, don't think that you can't. We're out here. Come join us. Yeah, it's um, it's. I think it's it's definitely necessary for the kids to actually see us. Uh, you know, we always say representation matters, and you know, I, you know, with Chadwick passing, it's one of the things that keeps coming back to the forefront of my mind of of the kids seeing Black Panther, of seeing. Mm -hmm a black superhero, seeing a black king, seeing that man, you know, taking on that mantle and, and yeah. all the responsibilities. And, and you know, I think that, and it resonated with so many people, resonated right. with so many kids. Uh, Wonder Woman, same thing, like, you know, seeing that, seeing that character, seeing, you know, Gal Gadot get on the screen and, you know, being so, um, I don't want to say strong, but being so, Fierce, probably a better word, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, so I, so you know, for me, like again, part of me being intentional about everything I do is because I understand, like, I got my my nieces and nephews looking at me. You got you know, yeah. the kids looking at us, watching us because you know they're trying to get those those nuggets from us, so you know they can aspire. You know, we've for too too long we've had the rappers and the ball players and the drug dealers being who our kids aspire to. So how do we change that? How do we change that that the their their viewpoint? How do we change their gaze to to aspire to be more like us? Um, right. And and we we bring so much culture and funkiness to everything we do. You know, we got to do that with these practical professional roles where kids can make a a good living, a great living for themselves. Um, make it attractive to them. And I think seeing more of us can help with that. You know, you still got to be cool because kids need you to be, <laughs> they need it yeah. to be cool. But, you know, just figure that part out. I, we can totally, we right. can totally be heroes and provide, you know, professional career heroes to more young kids. Absolutely. Like, um, Clay Burnbury, he's the VP of, of sneakers for Versace, you know, mm -hmm how you know a cool role in that you know you're working for this fashion house great fashion house mm -hmm. and you're working on kicks right which is something we grew up in you know right unfortunately he was he was detained because he came out of the Versace store in Beverly Hills with a bag and the police thought well why are you coming out the store with this bag and he's like well because I work here yeah um but that you know seeing his arrest or seeing mm -hmm. his seeing the video of, of his detainment you know Brought his attention, you know, brought his attention to me. And I'm like, okay, well, wow, that's a cool role. Mm -hmm. You know, I would not have even thought of there's a VP of sneakers and yeah, men's yeah. footwear for Versace. Yeah. Uh, and he's a black man, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think, again, like to your point, being able to be very, uh, be funky in it, be cool with it, seeing these roles where, you know, we can do stuff that's fun and, and exciting and also different. Right. But also, like, very real to us and very core to who we are. Right, right. So and there's so much opportunity because there's not a lot of us. There's a lot of our market that's underserved in these spaces where we're not represented. So we could get in there with our new ideas and our, our ideas to appeal. 
and the, and filling those gaps won't just appeal to black people, right? Because we have more in common than you know we like to 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 acknowledge sometimes. So there, there's just there's so much opportunity and money to be made and you know products and applications to be developed. And ah, it's, it's just I, I I'm I'm optimistic about it. I, yeah, I am too. You know, I yeah, I've I've dabbled a little bit. Um, you know, I, I build out websites, and mm-hmm. you know, I've I've had some app thoughts and some some platform thoughts, and but I do see it too. Like you know, even working in you know, in, in my companies and working on my different products, you know, I see like you know, we there's not enough of us, mm-hmm. but as you know, if we did bring in more of us and more of our ideas, like most of the world runs off of black culture. Most of the American pro- culture is black culture. I yeah. say it all the time. The, all of the music you hear today is is black influence, right? The stuff that's funky in in pop culture and hip hop and trash, it, it, it's it's black, very black. Right. So, you know, why can't we also have that influence in tech? Yep. You know, we why can. can't we be in that space? You know, I think Afrotech has you know been one of the, the greatest you know um, pieces of you know platforming and working and, and so forth like ever because again it gives you that it makes you you feel aspirational right and you feel inspired like you see so many of us right so many of us quote unquote black nerds you know even like even like going to tech like going to brooklyn tech and seeing like our huge you know class of smart mm-hmm. intelligent you know <laughs> black boys and girls yep, you know yep. and we're all there because we were the smartest in the city you know it wasn't like you know, they said, all right, we need 100 black kids, 200 black kids, all right, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. So, yep. no, we, we took the test, we passed the test, we scored high, and, you know, we got in. So, uh, we got there on our on our own merits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all that, stuff is, all that stuff is definitely aspirational um, and inspiration to me as well. Um, what's, what's the one message you'd like to leave us with? you'd like for the audience to hear or would like to share um, as we close out, Ms. Williams? <laughs> oh, that's heavy. Um, yeah, let me let me sum that up, sum this up with, um, um, there's, tech is not a lane, it's not a category. Tech is an umbrella that covers all of us. And if, and, and you should not shy away from it. You should encourage everyone in your life young and old to become proficient in some way technologically and embrace it and figure out how to uh, to take things further, how, how to be better. And it's not an enemy, it's not a, a newfangled thing, it is part of reality. And anyone that does not embrace it and incorporate it can be left behind. So let's look out for each other. And, you know, those of us that are, are technically savvy, spread that around to your people that are not right let's let's all lift each other up right like let's bring each other along and help us be competitive um and and you know of course uh, if you're on twitter hit me up i'm mecca codes I, i'll share my nuggets with you from time to time and uh and yeah just you know it's it's um you don't have to love it. You don't have to be a math or science genius to get into it. It's, it's easier now than ever before, and it's here to make your life easier. So, so I just that's my my tech push, my tech pump. Like, embrace it. <laughs> Join us. Yes, resistance is futile. <laughs> 
does sound kind of cultish, but but it's it's where we are. It's it's the world we're in now. So I mean, I, I think, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it connects us um, more than than ever. And um, oh, and tech for good is a real thing. Yeah, you can Google it. Tech for Good is a platform. It's, it's an organization that uses technology for social good co- socially good causes, and they do a lot of a lot of companies do a lot of pro bono work with them. So, uh, so that's a that's another thing that I'm really super into. Yeah, that's an interesting space as well. Um, just looking at that, I know because people do have that fear of like, oh, I'm working for like a Facebook or a Google or you know, or Amazon and they're evil, right? And they're, they're just, you know, sucking up all the resources. They're taking all our money. They're, you know, taking all our data and they're using it for, for these nefarious purposes. Um, but there are definitely a lot of companies out there that do yeah. good and do I encourage people, well. if you don't like Facebook, you have a problem with Facebook, delete your account and log off. Lots of people, especially social, uh, the, the, there is a whole space of, um, of being, um, socially um, right, doing the right thing. I, I don't really know the word for it, but, but the, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, what do they, what do you call it? Like, like the, the right thing to do, like doing the right thing, like Facebook, not doing the right thing with, you know, QAnon and, and blocking accounts that, that mean ill will um, to others. There is a whole governing body out there that's, that's, uh, you know, listing the infractions of all these social media companies. And a lot of the people in that space, they have deleted their Facebook accounts. They've deleted their Twitter accounts. If you don't agree, delete your account. I highly recommend that. I, you you know, we forgot what it's like, life before those things, but you'll be fine. You'll be perfectly fine if you get rid of it. I remember a long time ago, um, Zuckerberg said he wanted Facebook to be a completely open platform. That was his goal. And, you know, and with that, like, as if you look at every decision he's made or they've made, like, that's pretty much where they where he wants. Um, and that's where they're going. And even with that, even with his his his, you know, saying, well, if we have the truth and we have lies, we're going to put it out there so people can make their own decision about it. And it's like. That doesn't really jive. But if you go back to his original thoughts and his original his his goal of the platform, he's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Um, you know, I I've definitely had my times. I'm like, I don't even care about Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, really don't care about Instagram. Twitter is more of my space because it's more like you know, stream of conscious, mm-hmm. and you know, just getting into the moment of seeing things and really just more fun. But yeah, I think we definitely kind of get stuck in this social media um, trap yeah. where, and there's way more tech, there are way more platforms, there are way more, you know, software, there's way more things that we can do, we can utilize for good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the open platform thing is irresponsible. Like no paper, no publication would ever say that. No publication would ever say, I'm going to print everything truth or lies and let the people decide. Nobody would ever do that. Right. So the fact that it's it's tech and no one knows how to govern it reasonably is how he's able to get away with it. Twitter's the same way, but at least, you know, there's more there seems to be more ownership and you don't have endless, you know, character limits to to push crap, but you see people still do it. So 
you know, it's it's utopian to think you can have an open platform and that the people it won't cause harm, but it, in the real world, it causes harm, and and you should have a do no harm attitude. You should, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to do good? Because you you're not always gonna be able to do both. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, not everyone has the Google um, model as their mission statement, you know, and you know, even to an extent of of looking at it beyond, um, like you know, Twitter, like you know, people criticize Jack. But it's like, but what was what was Jack's you know thought process, ideologies before he found the Twitter? It's just an API. Twitter is just an API. Right. Right? Like they don't. But I will say this. Related to our conversation, Facebook and Twitter have a horrible diversity problem. And they're doing just as bad. And I, I think that bleeds into their product. And, you know, they, it's something that they need to deal with, too. I mean, they, they are, they're right there with us. So I think with more diversity in their workforce, you know, they might do better with this, this uh, yeah, I, I won't I won't soapbox too much, but there there are issues with both of those, and I regularly evaluate whether or not I'm going to keep my accounts on on either of their their platforms. Wishing happy birthday on Facebook is always great. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's birthday! Awesome. You can also uh, write automation that can do that without you having to interface with the platform itself. So, see, this is so this is why this is why we need you, Mecca. We need you to teach us how to do that. So. We don't need to be on there. But on the other side, when we talk about doing good in a nonprofit, we we typically raise about two to three thousand dollars in donations from people donating on Facebook. So mm -hmm. there is that balance of yes. good and and bad. Um, yep. Literally, the only reason I probably still have my accounts is because of that. Yep. Otherwise, I would have I would definitely be off there, and I would definitely reach out to you to help me automate these birth these happy birthday wishes. <laughs> All right, well, great having you on. This was a great conversation. Um, definitely looking forward to hearing more about what you're doing out there. Um, again, can you give the people your Twitter handle oh, so yeah. they can reach out to you? Yeah, I'm Mecca Codes, M-E-K-K-A-C-O-D-E-S. I'm on Twitter and Instagram with that same handle. Um, it's it's uh, their open accounts, and I are only... I mostly only uh, post um, professional tech things that interest me. So you don't have to worry about me sharing my political or fashionable views or, or anything else. So, um, so yeah, uh, that you, you can catch me on either one of those. I'm there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn too, Mecca Williams, M-E-K-K-A Williams. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Mecca. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. All right. Take care. You too. I want to thank Mecca for coming on and sharing her journey with us. The key takeaway for me was representation matters, not only in recruiting, but also retaining black talent and incorporating our sauce, our fun. With 2020 seeing so many companies embracing everything black, it's going to be interesting to see how tech companies evolve. Definitely a space to watch. 
Thank you for rocking with me. Please tell your friends about the pod. Subscribe and share. Also, send feedback. Would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe. Peace.